Hey guys, what's going on? We are live at the round table. Thanks for joining us. I've got a special guest here with me. So, and also Jeff Dodge is coming in. Jeff, welcome. What's up? <laughs> Sorry for the dramatic entrance. <laughs> I feel like you need to do like a Mr. Rogers, you know, like where you in and put my sweater on, my cardigan. Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> I'd love that. So, um, well, what we're doing here at the round table is we're fighting isolation with uh, just fun conversations with very interesting people. And I always wonder, um, what would it be like if you could talk to someone that was with Jesus, had been with Jesus, and somebody who was like an apostle, and uh, just to spend time talking to them? What would it be like to do a Zoom call with them? Well, today, that's kind of what we're doing, because that's how I regard my aunt as kind of a modern day apostle, visionary, uh, incredible woman who has spent a lot of time with Jesus. And so this is my aunt, Julie, Julie Arendt. So Julie, welcome. Hey, thank you. Good to be with you. Yes. Well, I, I hope that you guys are ready uh, to be encouraged because uh, this is going to be a special time and I'm looking forward to just uh, talking um, and seeing, seeing where God takes us. But uh, you guys actually... Julie, have you met Jeff before? Do you guys? Yeah. I, I feel like maybe I have. His face is familiar since I watch your podcast. <laughs> yeah. So he's famous to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, J Jeff, you're going to get to know my Aunt Julie, too, along with everyone Look else. Look forward to it. Yeah, wow. you're legendary. You're legendary. I feel the same way. Like, I feel like I know you because I keep hearing, you know, the stories. But uh, I think we did meet, like, years ago. Maybe even in Ames or something, but anyway, yeah, here we are. Yeah. yeah. All right, um, Julie, give us a your backstory. Just you know how how you came to Christ, and we're really going to talk about your passion and how you got that, what that passion is, and and how you uh, how you got that. So, yeah, yeah, if you could just share a little bit. Sure. Well, I grew up in kind of a an unusual family. I was I'm the youngest of six children. And I had an extremely outgoing father and a mother with the gift of mercy. And so there was a joke about my dad, if the Pope ever came to town and he and my dad stood side by side, people would say, I don't know who the guy with the beanie is, but there's Bill Arrett next to him. <laughs> <laughs> so he was so outgoing. And I learned uh, the source of their extraordinary lives uh, when I went to a Bible camp. I heard the story of a young boy who um, in his particular country, he had committed such a serious crime, even as a young boy, that he was to be punished so severely, maybe even put to death. And his mother asked the judge, she said, I'll do anything to save my son. What can I do? And the judge said, the only way you could save him is if you were to uh, exchange your life for his. And in the same way, you should be punished for your sin, but Jesus gave his life for you. So as a young seven-year-old, I ran to the front of the chapel and asked Jesus to save me and thank him for paying his life for mine. And then uh, God filled uh, my heart with his love. And uh, I saw the source of the radical lifestyle of my parents after Bible camp and experiencing the love of God myself. Wow. That's awesome. Julie, I would love to hear your kind of the journey of you getting a passion for international students and and what the what the progression was. So so first of all, take us to like from high school to college. So you're from Omaha and then you went to you went to college up in Minnesota. Yes, I went to college. Um, can I go back to a 12 year old experience that changed my life? Yeah, yeah. Okay, absolutely. so. When I was 12 then, um, my oldest brother, Bill, led a young nursing student to Christ. Her name was Barb Sorensen. And on Sunday afternoons, he would bring her to our home for dinner. We wouldn't eat her for dinner. She would join us for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and she shared with this awkward 12-year-old 
Julie, listen, it's Bible verse. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. She told this awkward 12-year-old, Julie, wouldn't it be awesome to lead that last person to Christ to bring back Jesus? I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. So then from that point on, I was going to be a missionary to Africa. That's what you did if you wanted to bring back the king. So then that's when I went off to Bible college and studied missions, planning on being a missionary. It's amazing to me. I mean, I, I was not raised in a, a gospel preaching home, you know? So when I hear stories like yours, Julie, where you still have a vivid memory of these peak moments, you know, of seven years old and, and what the content even of the message was. And when you were 12 and the key, like, it was like the Holy spirit was like, I don't remember much of anything from when I was seven or even 12, you know what I mean? But you have these vivid peak moments. It's just so remarkable to me. I'm, uh, I'm not jealous because I'm grateful for what God did in my life and how he rescued me much later. But anyway, I think that's remarkable mm-hmm. how you have such a clear storyline, even going back to childhood. That's, it's amazing. It's cool. I grew up in a similar, I mean, so Julie and I both uh, came up in the Christian Missionary Alliance. So Jeff, you're familiar with the mm-hmm. CMA, but mm-hmm. um, I remember as a kid, you know, I had some of those same experiences as a 12 year going to the conferences and it's the Christian Missionary Alliance. So it's very missions focused and loving the nations and friday night was the altar call to give your life to jesus saturday night was the altar call to give your life to go to africa or wherever you know and it was very the emphasis and i i'm so grateful for that to to see the mission of god um so julie you went uh from kind of that those experiences and then yeah how did you end up in in minneapolis So I went uh, to Bible College in Minneapolis. At that time, it was called St. Paul Bible College. And I chose, I thought, well, I'll, of course, study missions. So it's called missiology. So I studied missions. And then um, I came back. Oh, I went to seminary and studied cross-cultural communication. And then in order to make my last preparation to go overseas, I had to work in a church for two years. So my home church, it was a small alliance church called Lake Forest, hired me. And when you work in a small church, it's it's kind of wonderful. I got to do everything. I worked with children, junior. I was the children's director, junior high, senior high, youth director. I was one of two pianists, one of three soloists. And then on the side, I asked him if I could do a little bit of international ministry. And uh, that was in the, um, and right before that, in the late 70s, Russia had just invaded Afghanistan. And uh, my father was in a grocery store and he saw a handsome, dark, wavy haired gentleman. He said, hello, excuse me, where are you from? And the man said, I'm from Afghanistan. He said, Afghanistan? I've never met anyone from there before. Would you come to our home for dinner? So he came to our home. And it turned out he was the advisor to the king of Afghanistan and also the governor of the two major cities. And week after week, he would come to our small alliance church and they'd sit in the front row and he'd hear the gospel. Pretty soon his daughter came to live with him. Makes me cry. And in the evening, she'd knock on my door and say, Julie, what are you doing? I'd say, well, I'm, I'm reading the Bible. Do you want to join me? And there, this girl from a 99.9 Muslim country from the king's cabinet would climb onto my bed and we'd read the Bible for the first time. And I think, God, you're so awesome to bring this girl from a close country to the United States to my room to read the Bible for the first time. You're so awesome, God. But I was going to Africa and I told my brother, Jack, well, Jack, I'm finishing up all my requirements. I'm going to Africa, he said, Julie, look, weekly, you and mom and dad, you have Japanese, Chinese, Afghans, Argentinians. You have all these people coming to Christ. If God wants you in Africa, by all means go, but be sure you're not stepping over orphans to start an orphanage somewhere else. So I started fasting and praying that God would show me if I should 
go to the nations or reach the nations here. And that's when I received a call from a large church in the Twin Cities, Grace Church. And the pastor said, Julie, we have 10,000 internationals in the Twin Cities and 3,000 people in our church. Would you come and mobilize us to reach the nations here? And I knew that that was God's confirmed call on me to reach the nations that God had brought to us. Wow. Can, let's, let's go back to this family that Grandpa invited in because I remember as a kid going every Saturday, Grandpa would grind the wheat and make yeah. these waffles and always internationals. And I remember this family. Uh, tell us more about yeah, this family and, and kind yeah, of- Yeah, what happened? I feel like it's kind of one of those, you know, you left us hanging like, oh, what, what happened? <laughs> uh, well, um, actually, I just got news this morning that the mother passed away. So they've all heard the gospel many times. I'm still in close contact with the daughter. One of the daughters became Miss Nebraska. I helped her enroll in classes at UNO. She became Miss Nebraska USA. And actually during that time, I brought, Ed Noble and I brought Ravi Zacharias to UNO. And uh, so I introduced this Afghan family, the daughters to Ravi, and we had dinner here. And I remember my dad went on and on about how beautiful the daughter was, Miss Nebraska. And uh, he could, Ravi could see me shrinking down in my seat. And finally, Ravi perked up and said, Bill, Julie isn't so bad either. She's smart and cute, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> he, was, he was so uh, sensitive to others. Anyway, uh, so they've heard the gospel many times, and, um, mm. and, but they haven't yet received him. But I, I actually am in close contact still with the daughter that I had the Bible study with. And I just shared with her my roommate's testimony, who came from a Muslim background. Her father was in the king's cabinet, also in Africa. And his imam, mosque leader, told him not to read the black book. Well, you don't tell a high schooler not to read the black book. He read the black book, became a Christian, was thrown out of the palace. And now he's the leader of all the evangelical churches in Africa. And his daughter's a visiting scholar at the med center. And she's living with me. So I just shared with the that gal, her testimony. Mm. And so I'm still witnessing to her regularly and just praying for the day. Sometimes it takes Muslims years and years to find the Lord and I'm not giving up. Yeah. Mm. And they're, mm. such, they're such beautiful people though, not just outwardly, but inwardly there. And to think of all that they've been through, you know, I remember right. grandpa helping them find cars and an apartment. I remember going with grandpa over to an apartment and I, I, you know, these memories is like a six year old, five or six year old, but that's the eighties and what they left. I mean, think of they were uh, royalty and, and Kings there and, and, right. and fleeing as, as peasants really to escape uh, the Russian invasion. And, and so they're, yeah. Uh, what about, what else about the, just, some of my memories that, that you probably remember as an adult of some of the other people that came through that home. And, and I remember, I guess, I guess I want to ask you, um, even at grandpa's funeral, um, there were people that were impacted. Um, and one gal that you stayed in contact with. Yeah. Share that story. Sure. Um, so um, before my father passed away, uh, there was a young Japanese girl who came to live with me. I was living at, in a house near the university. I was trying to launch an international ministry. So I thought I'll buy a house near the university and host students. So the university, I contacted them said, yeah, they said, yeah, we have this girl named Ricky who needs a place. Could you host her? So she came to live with me and it was just weeks before my father passed away. And I said, dad, I have someone to introduce you to. Can I bring her over? He was so weak. <laughs> He was laying on the floor, but he said, yeah, bring her over. And I brought her over. And when she came in, he was laying on the mat on the floor and he sat up and he said, welcome to Omaha. Welcome to her home. Sit down. And her eyes got big. Here's this dying man welcoming me so warmly. And he 
shared some funny anecdotes, sang some songs to her, shared the gospel with her. Then just about a week later, he died. And she went to his funeral. And at the funeral lunch, she, she was a scientist, so she wanted to collect information. She said, you know, I just met this man one time, but I could feel he, he really loved me. What was his source of love? One by one, she asked people. And one by one, everyone said, it was Jesus. She didn't accept that. She said, I'm a scientist. She went to my six-year-old cousin. Um, she said, what was his source of love? And she gave her a cartoon track. And she gave it to my cousin, Marilyn. She said, here, read this to Ricky. So there at the funeral lunch, through a cartoon track, the scientist gave her heart to Jesus. And before my father died, he said, Julie, just remember, if just one person comes to know Christ at my funeral, it's worth it, Julie, it's worth it. And he raised his hand to heaven. He said, God, use my life, use my death, bring people to you. So I'm sure he'd say, yep, Julie, it's worth it. Wow. While we're talking about grandpa, I remember, you know, some he'd always be going to thrift stores and taking us around in his little Volkswagens. And, and he always, we could never get out of the thrift store cause he'd always be sharing the gospel with somebody and we're pulling on his pant leg. Let's go, let's go. And he always had a big packet of names, little papers in his pocket and they would be names of people that he was praying for and had shared the gospel with. And, you know, going to the longest grocery line so that he'd have more time with that person to share Jesus with them. And um, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of Grandpa Bill stories. Um, but I wonder if you could just think about Grandma Rena doesn't get a lot of uh, notoriety, but one of the things that I love um, about her life is she had something toward the end of her life as well. And that was one of the things my grandma into her 90s. Was she 95, six? Sort of 99 when she died. Just sort of 99 when she passed away. And she was one of the most beautiful examples of growing in vibrancy in your relationship with Christ in that age. I wonder if you could just talk about Grandma Rena. Yeah. A minute. So um, actually, she's my witnessing partner to this day, because everyone who came to her room as she was uh, in her last days, weeks, and even months, she would tell them, I'm going to heaven pretty soon. Will I see you there? And they'd say, well, I hope so. She'd say, you can know for sure. And then she'd share the gospel with them. So, uh, So a few months ago, I was at a Chinese dumpling party. And uh, my mom became my witnessing partner. I ended up across from this elderly Chinese woman. And I said, hey, you know, my mom is going to, this is right before my mom passed away. My mom's going to heaven pretty soon. Do you ever think about God or heaven? She said, no, I've been taught since I was a child, there's no God and there's no heaven. This was through an interpreter because she spoke a minority dialect. And I said, if there was a God and there was a heaven, would you like to know how to get there? She said, could you tell me? I said, yes. I said, first heaven's a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. It can only be free because we're all sinners. I point to you and say, you're a sinner. Look, I have three fingers pointing back at me. I'm a way worse sinner than you. But God, he loves us so much that he doesn't want to punish us, but he's just, so he must punish our sins. But he provided a solution through Jesus. Jesus died to pay for our sin and to purchase a place in heaven for us, which he offers as a free gift. And all we need is a little bit of this, saving faith, putting our trust in Jesus alone for our salvation. Would you like to receive that gift? She dropped her. She said, you don't understand. I'm an illiterate peasant woman. I don't know the God words to talk to such a great God. I said, I have even better news for you. The Bible says to become like a child. Oh, really? Could God accept me? Could you give me the God words to say? I said, yes. So we prayed a simple salvation prayer. And with tears running down her face, she said, now I have peace. Now I have peace. So then a couple weeks later, I asked the hostess, hey, do you have that 
elderly Chinese woman's contact info. I'd like to follow up on her. She said, you know, I don't. She was just visiting her son. And so I started praying for her daily. And I went to the Chinese church to see one of our students get baptized. He got baptized. Then a little old lady walked up. She said, yes, I was at a dumpling party. And this foreigner told me that there was a God who created me and loved me. And his son died for me. So I gave my life to him and I want to be baptized today. And I looked, that was the old lady. (laughs) (laughs) I got to watch her baptism. I saw the rest of the story. And then the Chinese church gave her the audio Bible in her dialect. So God has the best follow-up plan. So if you're at a party, a dumpling, Chinese dumpling party, God will provide an interpreter for you. Be bold. Share the gospel. Wow. <laughs> oh, my word. Well, you first have to be open to go into those kind of places. That's what's cool. You just, you don't happen upon a Chinese dumpling party. Like, you put yourself, <laughs> you put yourself in those settings. That's awesome. Really, why is international ministry so strategic and important because because some people are going to listen and like love your passion i'm never going to end up in a chinese dumpling party but why convince us okay first international ministry is uh strategic god is bringing the future world leaders and current world leaders here so for example xi jinping the current president of china He studied in Muscatine, Iowa, on an agricultural project. So just think if someone from Veritas Church had him him over for a chicken dinner, they could have influenced Xi Jinping and have changed the course of history. Fidel Castro studied here, and he was shunned by Americans. He said, when I go back to Cuba, I'm going to get back at those cold-hearted Americans. What if someone would have befriended him? But on the other hand, Anwar Sadat from Egypt, He was warmly embraced. And he said, when I go back to Egypt, I want to build a bridge to the United States. So only one out of five international students ever makes it inside of an American home. And international students have two main goals. One, of course, is to get a good education. And the second is to make an American friend. And you know what? If you can say hello, you can start an international ministry. When I saw my dad's example, I thought, well, I'm going to try this at our university. So I walked down a sidewalk and I prayed, Jesus, guide me to someone who's open to you. And I saw an Asian girl walking towards me down the sidewalk. I said, hello. And I kept walking. She stopped, spun around. She said, hello. I said, yes, hello. She said, did you say hi to me? And I said, yes. She said, do you know me? And I said, no, but I'd love to. She said, really? I was just thinking. How can I make an American friend? And you said hello to me so warmly. I thought, well, this is easy. At that that time, I was in my 20s and all I had was cornflakes. I said, do you want to come over for a cornflake? She said, oh, I love cornflake. (laughs) If you can say hello and pull a bowl of cornflake, you can start an international ministry. Oh, wow. Julie, what are some stories of that you've been a part of over the years? Yeah, so one of the best ones was uh, another student, Japanese student named Nozomi. I greeted her at the university. She ended up living in my house right after Ricky left. And Ricky wrote a note in her desk drawer, may every student who lives in this room find the love of Jesus. She put in her desk drawer. Nozomi moved into that room. And uh, I would take Nozomi to Christ Community Church in Omaha. And she thought, wow, I like this music. But all these poor people who've been brainwashed, they must come here because they like the music too. (laughs) And uh, the first Sunday there at the church, she got terrorized because she went into the women's bathroom and this elderly lady evidently ran out of toilet paper in the stall next to her and she said excuse me paper please and nozomi couldn't speak very good english so she ignored her pretty soon the lady said paper and her old hand came underneath nozomi's 
<laughs> he said, paper, paper. And Nozomi came running out of the bathroom, terrified. This woman, she said, paper, and put her hand under my stall. So the poor girl was terrorized her first Sunday at church. <laughs> but anyway, she kept coming to church and going to, uh, coming to Global Friends, reading the Bible. And then in the evenings at my house, I'd say, well, Nozomi, we've had dinner. Now I'm going to go spend time with Jesus. So I go into my bedroom and she went into her bedroom and she looked around. Where's Jesus? She pulled back the curtains, opened the closet door, looked under her bed. She was perplexed where Jesus was in her room. Finally, she knocked on my door. Where's Jesus? I said, that's a great question. Look, the Bible says, if you search for me, you'll find me if you look for me with your whole heart. Do you want to look for him with me? She said, yeah. So every night we read the Bible together. We started with Genesis. And when God was looking for Adam and Eve and said, where are you? I said, Nozomi, God is asking, where are you? She said, whoa, oh, he's looking for me. I said, yeah. I said, ask him to show you if he's really, really real. So every night she got on her knees. She said, Jesus, show me if you're real. Well, one day at church, we were singing a, a gospel song. I sing a simple song of love to my Savior, to my Jesus. Just then the love of God came and filled her, and she grabbed her, my arm and said, Julie, he wants to be my Savior and my Jesus. So she gave her heart to Jesus, and her whole life changed. And a few weeks later, she said, Julie, God has been speaking to me that we need to form a gospel music team and give God's concerts across Japan. I said, Nozomi, we can't do that. Yes, we can. Jesus, send us to Japan. What can I do? I had to join her. Yes, send us. So I went to our pastors and I said, yeah, this young believer, she thinks we need to form a worship team and give a concert across Japan. Well, sure enough, we did. <laughs> we formed a gospel music team and gave concerts across Japan. And then when we came back, Nozomi said, Julie, I said, oh, what now? God wants me to go back to Japan and start a coffee shop ministry. God's using worship, gospel music, uh, worship, gospel music, and coffee. Japanese students love coffee. So sure enough, she went to Japan, started a coffee ministry, met a young missionary guy. They got married. And now they're planting churches in every major city across Japan. And a couple summers ago, I took a team from Crown College, and they had just bought a motorcycle shop in a major city center and we built them a worship stage and now out of that church they're planting churches in every major city across japan and it started with that shy girl who got terrorized in a in a bathroom at <laughs> <laughs> oh my word jeff and i have this phrase that gets used a lot you can't make this stuff up just before you said that, Mark, that phrase was in my head. I was about to say it. It's so true, though. You can't make that stuff up. That's like amazing. When I hang out with Julie, all of a sudden I'm like doing my quiet times in the book of Acts. But it's like <laughs> the book of Acts just continues through your life. Um, Julie, what, how do you, I mean, how do you befriend an international student? You know, what, what practically for somebody, if they wanted to do this, what, what, how would they do it? Maybe they're, maybe they're a college student or maybe they're a family, someone in my stage or Jeff's stage, you know, how would yeah. we do that? Let me start for, with a college student. So a college student is very strategically placed to reach international students. And most international students feel like they're invisible to other college students. So if, you're a college student, it's highly likely that you'll have an international in your class. So if you say hi to them, offer to study with them, have lunch with them, eat with them, invite them to play volleyball. So what's so beautiful about international ministries, you include them in what you already do, you know, because they so want to be your friend. That's their main goal. Education, that may be a secondary, but they want to be your friend. So you have the advantage. So the chances are 99.9% .9 that they would want to be your friend. If you're a family, you can contact uh, 
either the uni university advisor and say, hey, my family and I, we, you know, we went to Africa and visited an orphanage. Do you have an African student that would like a friend? How can we serve you? How can we serve the international office? Or if you have someone at your church that coordinates it, ask them how you can help them. A lot of uh, cities have a friendship partner program where you get matched, you can get matched with an international student. Uh, Global Friends in Omaha, in Nebraska, we can match you. And now we're gonna, we're in Bellevue and Lincoln and Okaboji, Iowa. And in, in Iowa, there's ISI, there's a salt company. Uh, you have an international ministry, so we'll help set you up. Yeah, what, tell us about your ministry, Global Friends. What, what is that? So our ministry of Global Friends, um, we bring in, build up, and send out internationals to the nation. So, so we start out with crazy, fervent prayer. We pray and pray and pray every Wednesday morning. We pray all Wednesday morning that God will guide us to the least reached people groups and give us opportunity to share the gospel with them. Then we make noise for Jesus by blessing the internationals in our city. So we make noise by, we have a big welcome party at the beginning of the year. We have 150 students show up for this picnic and all these churches come and bring free food. Then the next day we take them boating all day. So we just love them, make noise for Jesus. And then the subsequent weeks, every Friday, Saturday and Sunday night, we have these big home gathering with up to 120 students we fit in John Alford's house. <laughs> and we feed them uh, and then they can choose, we play a fun game and then they can choose to practice English or discover the Bible. And we have an average of one each unreached people group a month who comes to faith in Christ. Just two weeks ago, we had four Chinese doctors who gave their lives to Christ just before returning to China. Mm. Wow. So that's our strategy. How long have you been doing that, Julie, with that, like that organization and what's. Uh, so Global Friends, uh, I started 13 years ago. Okay. So I work with a lot of churches, um, but I've been doing it since I was 26. I won't say how many years that's been. <laughs> <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> In 35 years. One of the things I hear you do a lot is, um, and I was actually talking to my parents about this yesterday, like my mom was saying that you will often use other people's testimonies or stories to help you connect with someone. Because sometimes we often think, oh, my story is not that compelling or, you know, I don't know how to use my testimony in this situation, but you're good at using other people's like even how you use Grandma Rena, like my mom's in heaven. Are you going to be with her? Or mm -hmm. how, what, how do you think about that? Yes. Yeah, so, so I do that all the time. So for example, with the, my Afghan friend, I use my current former Muslims testimony to share with her. And then um, I, my uh, go-to, my default is my mom's. So she's my constant uh, witnessing partner. So just actually a couple weeks ago, I was in Iowa visiting my sister and I was, uh, Hey, this story is going to kill me. It's going to make me cry. So I was walking on a trail and, uh, we came up alongside an 82 year old. I guess it shows we're in pretty good health. If we can bypass an 82 year old. <laughs> we keep up with her. So we walked alongside of her and she shared with us how her husband had died about a year ago and we were sorry. And, and my sister knew her, she's one of her neighbors. And, and that's when I brought in my mom. I said, you know, before my mom passed away, I could see such peace in her heart. And, um, and I said, uh, I said, you know, she told everybody the reason behind her peace. Would you like to know the reason? And she said, yeah, what is it? And I said, well, it's as simple as ABC. A, we're aware we can't be good enough to please a perfect God. B, we believe that God loved us so much he sent Jesus to save us. And C, we come to him, we say, Jesus, save me. So, oh, that's so good. Could you, could you write that down for me and bring it to my house? And I said, yeah, and better yet, can we pray for each other? Can you pray for me and I'll pray for you that we know this Jesus? Yeah. 
So I didn't want to, I wanted to honor the 82 year old and not just say, could you pray for me that, or could I pray for you that you'll find salvation? But I said, why don't you pray for me and I'll pray for you? And she said, yeah. And so she prayed for me and I prayed for her and she accepted Jesus. Well, then I took her to ABCs. And then the next day I followed up, we invited her over and I taught it to her and we practiced it. And I said, who are you going to share this with? She lives with her two 80-year-old brothers. And, uh, and, uh, and I could tell she got it because she said, oh, she started crying. She said, oh, I wish I had known this before my husband died. He needed to know this. But I can tell my brothers. So lead people to Christ and then teach them, train them to train others right away. Teach them a simple gospel. Make it simple, reproducible. ABC. Can you give us those ABCs again? Yes. A, we're aware we can't be good enough to please a holy, perfect God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned our own way. B, we believe that God loves us. He loves us so much, he sent us a savior. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, come to him. Jesus, I come. Jesus, save me. And I told the old lady in Iowa, if you, you don't have to remember even the ABC. Just remember to tell someone, just say, Jesus, save me. Three words. She said, oh, I can do that. Jesus, save me. Tell your brothers, okay, Jesus, save me. Wow. So, Julie, you, you talk a lot about these people that are, are glad to have your friendship and, and conversations about Jesus. There's a lot of Christians who don't do that out of fear that they're going to be rejected or that they're going to have questions come their way that stump them, whatever. It's fear that keeps them from, you know, being as bold and just courageous as you are. So speak to that. What is there? You share the gospel a lot. How many times has there been like legitimate either pushback or somebody that's tried to outsmart you or you, you know what I mean? Like what are those fears legitimate for people? How do you, how do you answer to the Christian that says, I'm just afraid. I don't, that's why I don't share the gospel. Well, that's the beauty of a gospel track. <laughs> so, so if you're afraid or you don't have that much time, uh, just fill your fanny pack or purse or wallet with gospel tracks. Find your favorite way of sharing the gospel or type it out. I typed out the ABCs and gave out 120 gift bags at Easter to all my neighbors. So I don't even have to see them, but they all have the gospel now, 120 of them. Wow. <laughs> so yesterday, the Hy-Vee delivery boy brought me my groceries. He rang the doorbell and I looked for a tip. And unfortunately, the only cash I had was a $20 bill <laughs> to my chagrin. <laughs> so I <laughs> my favorite gospel track, put it in there, ran after him. Hey, you forgot this. And he was like, thank you. How could you not read a gospel track with a $20 bill in it? <laughs> right, right. Totally. So totally. Be extravagant. And if, if you're too afraid to share, fill your parcel with gospel your favorite gospel track or send it to your neighbors so you don't have to say a word if you don't want to <laughs> julie the but picture you... i have in my mind is the parable of the sower that jesus tells and the the farmer with the seed and and i think i you know we're, we we want to be so careful like we just have one seed right we want to plant it and make sure it grows i see you with a bag just Throwing seed everywhere. <laughs> totally. And the bag never runs out. You know, just yeah, magically yeah, just, the bag just never runs out. Right. Yeah. So if, if someone's a Christian, share them how to share their faith. If they're not a Christian, share the gospel with them. I had a, a pipe burst in my house oh, maybe a year and a half ago, and my ceiling was falling down. So I had to have a lot of. Uh, captive audiences in my house. <laughs> I had a drywall guy and a plumber. And anyway, 
So a lot of these guys that grew up in Omaha, grew up in the United States, I shared the gospel with them. Several of them, they'd never heard it before. They said, no one's ever shared this with me before. How could they grow up in a Bible-saturated place and not ever hear the gospel? It was so tragic. So I'd say find a favorite way, ABC or the bridge or, or but if, you're, if, if you don't want to use words, go to your local Christian bookstore or go online and find a compelling, simple gospel booklet. And uh, Ravi Zacharias came to Christ through the gospel of John. Someone gave him a Gideon gospel of John and he read uh, the guy showed him John 14, six, I am the way, the truth and the life. That one verse through John. And now he was one of the greatest apologists of all time. Mm. So even Gospel of John's, I bought a big stack of Chinese English Gospel of John. Mm. And that uh, I sent him home with all of our Chinese students. Some, some of Jeff, some of the answer to that question is I think how Julie processes fear differently oh yeah because, i'm sorry i never answered your question you know, because 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 i think it's the whole like you know they're saying jesus didn't come to make us safe he came to make us dangerous mm. and but julie's life is just like you actually believe that jesus is with you and protecting you and one example of that I wonder if you could just share the story of the, um, well, the unlocked door and I don't, do you know what story I'm teeing yeah. up? Because I think this is an example of people that like are afraid. Um, I think just know that, that Jesus Christ is, is with us. And, um, yesterday, um, my son Mackay was, you know, we mow with these noise canceling headphones on and, you know, we just kind of go in and out of lawns and he was crossing over the street and just, you know, just didn't look and a car just almost hit him, you know? Mm. And I just cried out to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And, and I just sensed the protection of Jesus, you know, on his life. And, and Julie, I just, I, I sense that on you and you believe it. Like, God has a purpose for you and your confidence in that. But the story that illustrates that, I wonder if you could share that story. Sure. So this was um, in 2011. I uh, woke up and was having my time with Jesus. And, and I read through some scripture. And then I grabbed an old... I thought I haven't heard from Billy Graham for a while. So I grabbed a Billy Graham devotional. And the devotional that day was on angels all around me about God's protective angels. And I thought, that's interesting, God, that you're telling me about angels today. I never think about angels. And I raised my hand up and I said, thank you for your angels. Would you protect me today? And then I was just thinking about them. And then my niece called me, hey, Julie, is supposed to snow this afternoon. Do you want to go for a quick bike ride? I said, yes, if I have to be back in an hour, I have a student coming. So we went on the bike ride. I came back, and the students were already here. So I just put a baseball cap on, washed my face, talked to the international students. Then my brother, actually, Jack, was going to come over. We were going to meet students at the university. So I unlocked the front door for him, and I went up to jump into the shower. So as I'm taking a shower, I heard a commotion. I look outside, there's police all around my house. I think, I better get dressed. <laughs> I go downstairs, the police are pounding on my door and my brother Jack's there and they say, are you okay? I said, yes. Did anyone just leave your house? I said, some international students. Anyone else? I said, no. Is this your jar of coins? I almost passed out. I said, yes, that's outside of my shower door. See that man in our police car? There's a big, big man thrashing his body around. That man was just wherever these jar of coins were. And he's a convicted serial rapist strangler. And, uh, and I almost passed out. Anyway, God had told me that day that he was going to protect me. And I can just imagine he was in front of, the angel was in front of my shower door, protecting me from this 
serial rapist that Omaha had been trying to catch for 10 years. So I was on uh, the news channels after that. And it was, it said, this is not a story about fear. It's a story about faith. And I showed him the Billy Graham devotional, the jar of coins and how, you know, we're all going to have unlocked doors from time to time. So we always need God's protection. It's not about fear. It's a story about faith. Wow. That is incredible. Don't you love the way that, that God supernaturally, how many times you read something in the Bible and it's, it's maybe fascinating or catches your attention, but you have no you anticipation for why that particular verse or passage, you know, has come to you that day or whatever. Those, those moments, which are pretty rare. I mean, God gives us as a, as a real gift. I mean, especially something that extraordinary, but how God just so supernaturally prepares you, you know what I mean? If you're faithful to be in his word, prepares you for the unknown that you couldn't yeah. anticipate or imagine. That's beautiful. It reminds wow. me of Psalm 34, you know, the angel of the Lord encamps around the, he pitches his tent around those who fear him and he delivers them. Yeah. Um, and I, I love that because, because I, even with the story of Makai, as he's crossing the street and almost, I feel my heart get filled with fear over all the bad things that could happen, mm. you know, like, yeah. oh no, like that, in just a moment, my life could change. But I think God, even through that story is, no, it's faith. You know, God has, it's not fear. It's, it's trusting that, that God is going to use us. And Julie, um, could you tell us some stories about overseas? I mean, I know that you, you had a story about, I don't know if you were on the Silk Road or where you were and, you know, just some crazy stories in Afghanistan or wherever, but, um, that's another kind of story of God's, you know, protection on your life. And uh, this is a, it's kind of a gross story. So if any of you are eating your lunch, I would I would shut it off for a minute. <laughs> I, uh, I was in Pakistan teaching English to Afghan refugees. And um, it was beautiful because I could see the glory of God through the Afghan hospitality. And I would tell them so, because when you're invited to an Afghan home, they'd feed you up to 10 dishes or 12 dishes. And I would tell them, God is a great host of heaven, but you Afghans, you're the great hosts and hostesses of the earth. I can see God through your hospitality. And that would go into the gospel through their hospitality. So, one, one day I wanted to go into Afghanistan to visit my former students. So I, I asked a Canadian woman to accompany me. We hired a taxi. We put on our burkas, ate a big breakfast. Well, after five hours, you know, we needed a bathroom. So we asked the taxi driver, Tashnab Kujasti. He said, Tashnab Nase. We asked him, where's the bathroom? He said, no bathroom. He was right where on the Khyber Pass, there's Russian tanks bombed out and um, little villages, but nowhere to use a bathroom. After another two hours, Tashab Kujasti. And he, he finally stopped at this military checkpoint with these Taliban looking men with their long beards and AK-47s. And he negotiated with them. They made all, he made all the men file out of this building. So this Canadian woman and I could go in and use the facility. Well, the facility, there was a rickety door and the, the bathroom was a hole dug into the ground in the building. And I pulled back my burqa, centered myself, and my burqa slid down off my head into the fecal water. And I shouted, I screamed, and the Canadian said, you'll have to take it out and put it back on your head because we can't have our, they can't see that we're foreigners. So I pulled out my fecal burqa, put it back on my head. And for 12 more hours, I had fecal juice running down my face. <laughs> oh, no way. Oh. So they didn't, you were totally covered, so they couldn't tell. Right. Wow. So, you... And so since then, actually, um, it's, I've had problems with parasites since then because parasites filled my body and embedded themselves in my liver. But anyway. <laughs> so anyway. 
<laughs> so anyway, but but I'm still alive to tell the story. Happy lunchtime, everybody. Cheers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you- but it's worth it. It was worth it. I got to share the gospel with a lot of people in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Wow. How much time? I'm sorry. I was just going to ask how much time have you spent? I know you spend a lot of time with internationals here where, where you live here in the U S but do you make frequent trips overseas or what? So when there's a, usually when there's a critical mass of students who come to Christ. So for example, the Japanese, we had quite a few Japanese come to Christ. So then I took the trip there, helped them with their church plant and then went and visited new believers around Japan. And the same thing was true in China, for China. So uh, when we had a critical mass, actually, when my brother Jack and I were partnering and he worked at Christ Youth Internationals, he and Linda and I, we saw a movement. We saw 26 Chinese come to Christ in a year. So uh, I went with another Chinese girl. She set up a tour and we followed up on all those new believers. So Mm. I try to go when there's a critical mass. Mm, mm. But I went to Pakistan, Afghanistan, because my first friends were Afghans. And so, um, and there was a gal in Pakistan who was really good at leading a lot of Afghans to Christ. So I shadowed her so I could see why she was so effective with Muslims. The key was hospitality and Mm. boldness. You've seen, you know, uh, with with Muslims, often God reveals himself through dreams, visions and dreams. Have you seen that to be true? Um, I'm thinking of the Afghan gals that came through the... Uh, yes. So, yeah, George and Laura Bush set up an Afghan teacher education project. And groups of Afghan teachers would come to Omaha. Two came to Christ, and actually we put them through Bible school. And... Um, they came to Christ through watching the Jesus video. And I know stories of those who come to Christ through dreams and visions. I just haven't experienced that in my friendships personally, but I know that it's true. Yeah. Um, I, Julie, I want to, before we kind of end this, I want to ask you about just your own walk with Christ and what that looks like, how you follow Christ and, and meet with him. You know, dad says that, that you spend a lot of time in the Psalms. And I was just curious what, what that looks like for you time with the Lord. So did you know, if you read five Psalms a day, you can get through the book of Psalms every month. So generally I either read or listen to in my Bible at five Psalms a day, and then a proverb and something from the new and old Testament. And if I, if I, I have several favorite psalms. So when I get to those psalms in the month, I listen to it over and over. So one favorite psalm is Psalm 62, 8. Trust in him at all times, O people, for God is our refuge. I love that one. And I love um, Psalm 67. Three, may the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. That's another favorite. Mm. So you just spend time listening to the Psalms and... And I read it, I listen to it, I write about it. And uh, I feel like David puts words to my soul. Like Mm. he puts words to what I can't express. And then I can... When I go over my prayer list, I can pray the Psalms over people. Like if someone needs trust, oh, may they trust you at all times. Or it gives even words to my prayers for people. Mm. Wow. Who are some people that have impacted you in your journey? I mean, you mentioned Ravi Zacharias and, you know, he Uh, just passed away last week. Um, You know, uh, but who are some people that have impacted you, whether through their writing or personally or? Yes, uh, personally, that young nursing student, my brother led to Christ. I still keep in weekly contact with her. And she's such a woman of the word and prayer. And she has long, detailed prayer list. So I just, 
I like to go to Grand Island and pray with her. She still works with, she works with, she was a missionary in Africa for years and now she works with the Fugans. And I learned from her prayer life. She spends hours and hours in prayer every day. And uh, so probably personally, it would be Barb. And then um, probably as a preacher, John Piper, I have his app and I listen to, almost daily I listen to a John Piper sermon and when i think of john piper i think of him shouting at me don't waste your life don't pick up seashells in florida <laughs> <laughs> that's so true so i just think oh i can never retire with john piper on my on my app <laughs> <laughs> man if you listen to a john piper sermon every day that takes a chunk of your day <laughs> <laughs> i tend to wake up between four and five in the morning so i have time wow Wow. Wow. Julie, you've, uh, you know, you've experienced a lot of churches and yeah, just experiences. And I, I guess I, um, I crave wisdom, um, from older people. And my question to you is what advice do you have to a young pastor, your nephew, um, for just, as I think about, just pastoral ministry and I don't know, what's your perspective and advice? Um, find people that you want to be like and hang out with them. And, uh, you know, your dad and mom, they're encouragers and uh, surround yourself, especially with encouragers that will hold your arms up because the pastoral ministry is hard. I remember as a little girl, I grew up in a small Alliance church and, and I felt like my dad was the encourager to these young pastors. I remember as a little girl, they'd come over and they would pour out their hearts to my dad. And he would, he said, just so you know, I'm never leaving this church. I'm never leaving as long as you're here. I believe in you and I'll stand by you. And no matter how discouraged they were and wanted to give up, he would, he never lost his faith in them. And, uh, those pastors today out of that little bitty Alliance Church, less than a hundred, one has become the denominational leader of our denomination. The other became the, the president of our denominational Bible college. And I think what if he wasn't there encouraging them? I'm sure there would have been other people, but uh, mm. just to, um, so surround yourself with encouragers and be that encourager like you're, like we say, encouragement can lead to a movement. And uh, the next, the last thing would be share the gospel all the time with everybody. And then right away when someone cr comes to Christ, teach them how to share the gospel in a simple way. Keep everything simple and reproducible so it can multiply on and on, generation after generation. Mm. Julie, you have a lot of nieces and nephews that you love and pray for, right? Yeah. Do you know how many? What? You're all, you're all on my prayer list. I think I have more than 65, including the greats and great greats. So what do you want your legacy to be for them? What do you want them to remember you by? That it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Know Jesus, love Jesus. Find salvation in Christ alone and follow him with your whole heart. He's worth it, he's worthy. And I wanna see you all in heaven mm. with Grandma Rena and Grandpa Bill. That's the only thing that they would want. That's the only thing that I want. When we think about what we need right now is, you know, we're needing the perspective of heaven i think about paul says for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all so we fix our eyes not on what is seen but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary what is unseen is eternal if you though outwardly we're wasting away yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day i think about this putting on the scale the the troubles of this world the the pandemic, um, the the hardships, the the burkas soaked in waste, and 
all of the trials and tribulations and sickness and sadness and you put it on the scale against the the glory of God and it it just it doesn't it doesn't compare it and and I'm just thinking about heaven and Julie I'm wondering what what gets you excited about heaven I get excited to introduce to each other people from every tongue tribe and nation who came to know Christ as a result of our small meager efforts here on this earth mm. that we'll be able to party for eternity mm. wow and then how god can use an average errant like us who just can show up and be faithful mm. <laughs> he can make his strength he makes his strength perfect for a weakness that's that's my story mm. <laughs> amen and that people can say well if god can use her he can use me too <laughs> yes. Yes. Amen. That's so good. The the picture of heaven, you know, in Revelation, the kings of the nations, they'll bring their glory into the city and just experiencing the best things of every nation as they bring their cultures and their food and their hospitality and and their fruit and their language. I mean, just all the the beauty of the nations uh coming into heaven i think about the olympics you know the the nations bringing in their flags and just like all of it uh, unified as one and uh what a that's a, a a picture to to long for and so um julie thank you so much for just coming and and sharing your life i um jeff i want to kind of leave you with the last word yeah some of your thoughts I but before I give the last word here, Julie, one, one question I have as a postscript is, um, you know, you talked about John Piper and rightly so what a godly man, Ravi Zacharias, incredible. You've had some great deposits in your life through their ministries, but, but for me, I was, you know, early on, uh, the writings of Elizabeth Elliot really as a brand new believer, she became really a, a, major impact player in my life as a, as a new believer all the way to this day, even after she's gone, I still lean into her and a bunch of people here are reading her posthumously published book on suffering. Mm -hmm. um, but I just wonder, you know, there's Rosaria Butterfield who is today, I think impacting many, many people who, what are some other women that you feel like have really impacted your life and helped you become the woman of God that you Actually, are? Elizabeth Elliot would be one, and uh, Anne Graham Lotz. Yeah. And uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Oh, amen. Uh, I love uh, her daily devotionals. Yeah. So, um, women like that. But Eliz Elizabeth Elliot surely shaped my missionary passion. And um, through her and Jim's testimony, yes. For sure. Great women of faith, yeah. I, I think she probably came to mind just because I hear echoes of, of her coming through you. You know, I think I, it felt like you'd been imprinted, you know, by for sure. What a, Amen. Yeah. Somehow I like having John Piper preach at me every day. I don't know why. I just like, oh, Hey, you could do worse. Well, the, the thing that I would, would love to close with is, you know, your love for Psalms. And I was thinking of, just to bless you by, by Psalm 16, where I just love this part of, of Psalm 16, where he says, Lord, you are my portion and my cup of blessing. You know, of all the gifts, of all the extravagancies of this world that, that the psalmist at that point just says, you are my portion, you are my cup of blessing, you hold my future. Just that confidence of... You almost feel like David must have been bursting with joy as you hold my future. Like I am so thrilled, so happy, so secure, so cared for. And then that that next verse, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Yeah. And I just think of Psalm 16 verses five and six. I feel like, Julie, you really... You exhibit that, the joy. You really display Psalm 16 verses five and six and believe that even with a you know, fecal <laughs> drenched burqa or whatever it is, 
you have a joy because you you believe that God is your portion. And I just, you've given me a new glimpse, I think, of, of Psalm 16 today in hearing your story. So man, I just want to leave that as a banner over your life. That's, thanks for, yeah. The Afghan woman who said to you, Julie, you have lights in your eyes. Mm. You know? And I just think that's a an encouraging word for you that you just, the, the radiance of Christ comes off you. So would you just pray for us as we close our time? Me? Yes. Would oh, you okay. sure. Yes. Father, thank you. We pray that you. You say if you're lifted high, if your name is lifted high, you'll draw all men to yourself. Would you be lifted high, Iowa, Nebraska, across this nation, around the world? Lord, would you bring salvation wherever my brothers and sisters go? In these last days, would we make the most of every opportunity for your name's sake, Lord? We praise you. You're perfect in all your ways. We give you great thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Mm. What a joy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for for coming on. And and, uh, what a cool thing that, man, we we wouldn't have had this time had we not had a pandemic and having to do Zoom calls. And uh, so good is coming out of this. But, uh, well, hope you guys enjoyed our time. Uh, If you've been tuning in and, and watching this, hope you leave encouraged. And uh, let's keep walking in faith and and trust and see what God's going to do. So have a great week. We'll see you next time.